Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3am. I am your host, Nikki Mandiola. Listeners, this week's topic has hit me like a ton of bricks. Although I spent the majority of my academic free time in college taking history, particularly feminist history courses, I had yet to come across the feminist theories regarding this week's mama until now. It makes complete sense why second-wave feminists use the snake-haired creature's persona to discuss rape culture as well as the male gaze in literature as a whole. This tale runs rampant with language that points directly to the idea of criminalizing victims of sexual assault. With this in mind, this show will do what we've always done in explaining the origins of the legend and further tales, but I do feel that it's important to look at the feminist theories which will be present at the end of this episode. On that note, let's get down to the business. This week's topic is Medusa. Ancient Greek representation of Medusa described her as a creature born to a family of monstrous beings. As one of the Gorgon sisters, female-winged monsters, she was born to Phorcus and Cato, who were the children of Gaia, Earth, and Oceanus, the ocean. Of the three sisters in total, others named Sitheno and Uriel, Medusa was the only mortal. Comprised of the body of a dragon, along with hair made of snakes, Medusa had the power to turn whomever gazed into her eyes, usually men, into stone. On the island Arserpedon is where early Greek writers placed Medusa's home, where she lived until her death. Vase painters in ancient Greece depicted a monstrous beginning, and it wasn't until the 5th century these depictions changed to envision a being that was both beautiful and terrifying. Roman poet Ovid was the one responsible for altering Medusa's story to explain her human life pre-snake-haired monster transformation. In this tale, Medusa is a golden-haired beauty who is the recipient of many suitors. Poseidon, god of the sea, decided to take her as his own and doing what he pleased as a god, brought Medusa to the temple of Athena where he raped her. Enraged that her temple has been defiled, Athena punishes not Poseidon, but Medusa, changing this once beautiful woman into a fear-inducing monster cursed to turn anyone who looks upon her into stone. Another less hard-to-swallow tale portrays her as a beautiful maiden who devoted her life as a priestess to the goddess Athena. Because of this, Medusa had taken a vow of celibacy. Love struck this priestess in the form of Poseidon, and disregarding her oath to Athena, the pair married. Insulted, the goddess punished Medusa in the worst manner she knew how, by stripping away her beguiling beauty. Each glistening lock of hair was turned into a venomous snake, her once charming eyes became red, soulless orbs, and her porcelain skin developed a greenish tinge. Medusa was forced to flee her home and live in exile, as whomever was to lock eyes with the creature was to be cast into stone. 
keeping in mind that Medusa is still a part of the Gorgon sisters, whom live together in exile in most tales. This leads us to the story of her demise. Ruler of the island nation of Seraphos, King Polydectus, desired to marry Danae, the mother of one of his subjects named Perseus. Grown into a man whom was very protective of his mother, Polydectus knew it would be impossible to wed Danae with Perseus around. Persistent in his wishes, the king developed a plan to rid Perseus from the island. A royal decree was announced to the public that Polydectus was to marry a woman named Hippopotamia and required that each man on the island was to provide a gift suitable of this union. Perseus watched as each of his companions were able to provide horses to the king, and unable to do so as well, he failed to provide a gift of equal grandeur. At this confession, Polydectus insisted that only the head of Medusa would suffice as a gift, and Perseus, who had previously claimed to be up to the task of beheading a gorgon, was sent from the kingdom. On his way out, the king proclaimed the warrior would not be able to return without his prize. Aware of Polydectus's plan, the gods provided help to Perseus in the form of weapons. Bestowed a mirrored shield from Athena, gold-winged sandals from Hermes, a sword from Hephaestus, and a helm of invisibility from Hades, he set out toward the Gorgon's lair. While the creatures slept, Perseus used the shield to capture the reflection of Medusa's visage in order to avoid her gaze. In the end, Perseus beheaded Medusa, and from her neck sprung the winged horse Pegasus and the giant Chrysaor. Although no longer attached to her body, Medusa's power was still strong, so her head was placed in a sack to prevent an accidental stoning. Infuriated by their sister's slaying, Sotheno and Uriel pursued Perseus to no avail. When he returned to Seraphos, Perseus found that his mother, who had been abused by the king in his absence, had taken refuge in a temple. Outraged, he made his way to the throne room, where Polydectus and his consorts were surprised to see him alive. The king was skeptical that Medusa had been slain, which prompted Perseus to reveal her uncovered head turning each of the members in court to stone. Before you go believing that Perseus was some kind of hero for this action, in Ovid's telling where Medusa was captured and raped by Poseidon, Perseus goes on to say that her punishment was just and well-deserved. Here I'd like to reveal that under this note I wrote, same shit, different century. This leads us to the feminist theories regarding Medusa's story and visage. Second-wave feminist writers and poets such as Sylvia Plath, Mae Sarton, Anne Stanford, and Helen Sixo dove into the male-generated assumptions around the use of Medusa's image. As a snake-haired demonic monster, Medusa incites fear in the hearts of men, and instead of viewing her story as a victim, she is looked upon as a being who must be defeated. Knowing this, her image has been used multiple times throughout history as propaganda against female powers such as Marie Antoinette, and while rallying for the right to vote in the United States, 
suffragettes. Poets of second-wave feminism used her story to discuss the silencing of sexual assault victims, which was plainly shown through the tale by Perseus's confession in Athena's Curse. Sixo's The Laugh of the Medusa prompted a new way of thinking and writing in regards to women and literature. In this, she states that there is no typical woman, but that what women all have in common is a history of exclusion and limited visibility. All this was used to take back the story and image of Medusa, which to this day is still used as a way to demonize women in power. Although her tale is clearly one of suppression, most scrutinize this creature as the most horrid form of female imagery. So next time you encounter Medusa's snake-covered face, Perhaps you may no longer view her as a monster, but rather a victim of society. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover, or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, follow Malicious Mamas on both Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you could rate comment, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help out, and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas.